We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. We are looking through uh, the beginning of this chapter under the banner of the work of the ministry and hindrance and hope. And in the last week or two, with Brother Schrader being here as well, we took a focus in particular on the aspect of the God of this world, Satan, and his power and his workings in the world around us. And that would be in the title, The Work of the Ministry and Hindrance and Hope, that there is hindrance in the ministry. There are things that um, would impede the gospel, things that would get in the way, things that would uh, be hard to work through. And we'll talk about some of those. We'll be looking today specifically at verses 5 and 6, hopefully verse 7, but I doubt it. So speaking to someone this week and particularly was about politics because I, th- I think there is a thing like that called politics. And uh, uh, just some, you know, concerns that we all have that we can get kind of swallowed by, by the world of what's going on with politics and all that. And then I have to say, I heard some clips today um, from some uh, political leaders uh, projecting, projecting a truth that I did not know and I won't tell you about all the things that they were saying that are true today um, with the current administration. I just kept scratching my head saying, what, what? And I think we have in the world something that is true. People that are living in different realities. And, and for the believer, you need to recognize that there are, I think, actually three different realities that are happening. It's not just that there are political parties in the United States and that which we may be calling left wing and then there's a right wing, but there's also what we will call a believer's wing, if I can use that phrase. And that believer's wing is not going to reconcile itself with the rest of the world as far as following and believing all that the world teaches. And so we're going to be different. And in that political conversation, I was noting that you know, there is, a, there is a prince of the power of the air, as it says in verse 4, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. There is that influence that is, has been given authority and rule, not supreme, but authority and rule uh, to do and work in this world in a way that is anti-God. And we at, as Christians can be at peace if we will focus on the fact That God has told us at the end, not only who the winner is, but who really is God supreme and who really has all things under control. We can trust that God and not the one who's been put in uh, in, an authority in this world to work their influence. By the way, I was thinking, I didn't say it last week, um, but when we were talking about last week, the prince of the power of the air and the power that he has, uh, do you see that? Do you see it around you? And, And I would say we do see it. We see the things that are being purported as truth that aren't biblical, but I was just in Winco, just, you know, a little old Winco, right? And, and there are people in Winco, I just took note that as I was checking out, the people in front of me were checking out as well, and uh, there were, they were wearing shirts of Lucifer, Satanism, and, and those kinds of things, just right out there. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's just, it's just there. Uh, but we, as believers, can sometimes be dismayed by, and distracted by what we see going on. And it may seem to you like there is a, why is it that evil seems to have so much, uh, has such a, a, a power to run? And I would argue that that is definitely a spiritual power that's happening there. 
that is a satanic power that emboldens, invigorates, and empowers those which are lost to be in coordination with Satan, demons, and those that are anti-God to work their will. But that being said, remember that there's a God who is sovereign and can use all of that to bring about his glory. So don't underestimate the glory of the gospel and the glory of the power of Christ. I'm going to read this passage again, verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 4. We're going to get into verses 5 through 7. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light, and we're going to anchor on this phrase, of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Remember again, we've talked about this for a moment, that we have a glorious gospel because we have a glorious Savior who reaches down to save the most sinful of, of us. No, no matter how deep or how far we've run, that God is still a saving God. And he saves to the uttermost and he can ransom and rescue anybody that will come to him. And I think that's a, a glorious message. It is the best message on, a, on the planet. So you have verse five, verse five. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ or for Jesus' sake. So I'd like you to take your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to break off into preaching Christ. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We're going to break off into some other passages that reference this gospel. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we're turning to now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, particularly verse 18 and following. Now, we've actually been in this passage recently, but I'm going to read a broader section. It's really verse 18 through the end of the chapter. So here, here again is the importance of where we are today. Um, there is a need for the gospel to be preached. There is a need for the gospel to be declared in the world around us. Amen? And out of all the things that can be known in this world, and out of all the things that we might look to to bring us hope, it is the gospel that is the shining light of hope in the world. Uh, we referenced it, and we talked about it a little bit, specifically with, with Hannah going even into the idea that we not only have been rescued from hell, and you guys, is, is hell a good reason, to, avoiding hell a good reason to get saved? Yeah, I, I, some of you laughed too, and I, I got it. When Krista was talking about mom drew a stick figure, and it was very simple. There's hell and fire, and there's heaven. Which one do you want to go to? Right? So that's a simple message. But is it a blessing to know you can be rescued from hell? Well, that's only part of the picture. It's a blessing to know that, but we get rescued to heaven. And rescue to heaven also has with it all of the glory that God tells us that heaven is. And part of that we talked about, which is the new body. And again, all of the reason that we have to be hope-filled today is bound for the believer in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of him, it is a glorious message. We not only have rescue from a place, but to a place, and a glorified body to go with it that has with it all kinds of mystery that will be revealed to us at some time. But here's what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the, pro of the cross is the power of God because it reaches where you are. And I'm going to say that again. It's a miracle anybody is saved. 
as vile as we can be and as rebellious as we can be, it's a miracle that anybody gets saved. But that is the power of God. The power of God is that his saving power can reach the uttermost. And I think the uttermost needs to be fine as you. He can reach you no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, and he can bring his saving power, excuse me, to your life. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? By the way, I I can't resist it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be political. Um, So, again, I believe any president who sits in that chair, I want them to be saved. I want them to know the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, again, something you may not like to hear. Uh, I have no goal in beating up President Biden, even though I disagree with some of what he said. So I did not know, I did not know that apparently we've had more jobs created under his presidency than any other presidency. I did not know that. I was surprised to learn that. I was surprised to find other things as well. And I have to admit, there's a lot of my carnal man that says, I'm not confident how good at math we're being right now. (laughs) And more and more, More and more we have, and by the way, again, we need to be careful here about the idea of, you know, of of disrespecting, okay? Those that are in authority. We need to be careful not to do that. Uh, But here we have such a crazy world that we have people that we're entrusting to execute as ministers righteousness where we cannot even define basic terms of man and woman and right and wrong. And and folks, yet I want to say, there's a God who can reach any of us, any of us. And if it isn't for his saving power, we won't be rich, reach. If it isn't for his grace, we will be absolutely lost. It says in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Question? Right? What kind of, I, this, this, I use the word wackadoo, I think, in every message these days. But it, it's, it's kind of where we find ourselves. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Amen? In this world that espouses so many different lies, it is the foolishness of preaching that, that God uses preaching his word to save those that will believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. This phrase is just a great phrase, but we preach Christ. Amen? It goes on to say, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God (coughs) is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, (coughs) not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, <coughs> has God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Would you read verse 20? I'm going to let you do it so I can drink water. Somehow you got to coordinate yourselves. Read verses 29 through 31 out loud together, beginning now. That no... Read verse 29 again out loud. Ready? Verse 29 out loud with me. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Who are you to be a child of God? Do you see the glory of the gospel? The glory of the gospel is that we're not saved by works. We're not saved by our goodness. We're not saved by our title. We're not saved by anything that we do. We're saved by the grace of God through faith. So there's no glorying. There's no glorying at the cross, there's no, there's no asking, how did you get here? There's no asking, hey, what did you do to get here? And there's no one says, well, I was a nurse and I saved many people's lives and I helped people who were in pain and I was a pastor and I preached, I preached and I preached and too long and I preached and then, I, well, I started an orphanage or I was nice to people. There is no glorying at the cross. None of that stuff saves us. All glory goes to our Savior. We preach Christ crucified. The one who made everything. It's, it's interesting that he uses that phrase, we preach Christ crucified. He uses both his messianic title here, Christ the Messiah, and then immediately follows that with the humility of the cross. Christ crucified. So where is glorying? How, how can there be any glory that somehow we did it? So here's the point. We don't preach ourselves. We don't want to fill this pulpit with rhetoric that is simply social about what's going on in the world around us. We want to open this book, see the mind of God, and as followers of Christ, Follow him until he either comes for us or we go home to him. And in that short snippet of a life, live our lives for his glory. Tell others about him. Give ourselves to doing the work of the gospel. We have such a short time to magnify this God in whom we serve in this planet that needs to see the light of the gospel. So let's do it. Let's get at it. And let's be busy about the work of God. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Now why would that be the message of Paul? But God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. When you know Christ, he changes your life. Now, I'm going to use Hannah's testimony, but I just want to underscore this again. Joy that God gives can only be found in Christ. 
And you can live your life looking for purpose and for meaning and for a reason to open your eyes another day. And you can be deceived your whole life and live your life in vanity if you don't come to Christ. But because of Christ, we recognize that we owe every last thing to him. I, I often will reference that we will never stop giving God glory as long as there, well, ever. Because eternity says it is what God gives to all those who know him. And the fact that we're in heaven is a testimony of God's grace every moment we're there. Why? Because none of us deserve to be. We glory in the cross. We recognize because of the Lord, all of the things in this world lose their power because none of those things will satisfy. None of those things that we can get, no matter how much it is, will satisfy the need of the soul. We have to have a Savior. Now, I already referenced this, that there was the verse we looked at previously where uh, there is the preaching of the cross and the fact that we glory in the cross and that it is a testimony that Christ, we preach Christ crucified his humility. Well, this verse back in 2 Corinthians 4 says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and further, ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We need to take a moment on that and take your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. So there is a picture of the gospel where Christ, as Messiah, is Christ crucified. And this humility that Christ puts on by going to the cross is a humility that is gospel-centric. So, in Philippians chapter 2, I, I think I said Philippians 2. Give me a second. Yes, Philippians chapter 2. We read in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a what? So remember, back in 2 Corinthians 4, we preached not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. A disciple of Christ will be servant-hearted and servant-minded because actually the, the aspect of being a servant that drove Christ to the cross, but made himself, in verse 7 of Philippians 2, of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and all God's people said... Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're referencing in verse 5 and 6, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants 
for Jesus' sake. Here's the point, folks. Uh, by the way, we don't get to do this very often, a little, little, uh, little operation in, in being distracted. If you want to open those windows on the side and let some spring air in, good. Uh, that'd be great, a little distraction for you. Um, but coming back to the idea of being a servant, being a servant. Someone was asking me just recently about maturity. If you want to grow as a believer, I think you will never get around this truth. Looking like Jesus is looking like a servant. Looking like Jesus is looking like a humble servant. Someone who is willing to give of themselves. And by the way, I think appropriately out of a heart of gratitude for being saved, but to humble ourselves, to love other people, people that may be mean to you, people that might despitefully use you or might say bad things about you or might consider you an enemy, that we humble ourselves and we serve because of Christ. This humility is the idea of being willing to empty ourselves and to be willing to be stepped on, if that's, if that's what it's called for, for the glory of Christ's sake. Now, by the way, let me, let me just say this. In verse 5, for we preach on ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. So what is it to preach Jesus? What would you say? What is it to preach Jesus? In your mind, what is it to preach Jesus? Well, that phrase, however you say it, is us telling about him. And specifically, telling about how he is the what? He's the savior. He's the one that can rescue their soul. It says here, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. This is done in a servant-hearted capacity. Let me take a moment here and say, or let me at least reference, what is your thought about how we're doing about speaking Jesus? Well, let me take it to a different, a different world and maybe a little different application. Um, everyone in this room is necessary for the gospel's sake. This world could use, this valley could use every last one of us going out from this building and speaking Jesus. I want to take just a moment as a side illustration to say a couple things, and I'm probably not going to get any further. I'm, I'm probably going to pick up in verse 6 next week. Because I, I want to share with you something that I shared in our Sunday school class. Um, we as a church need to be burdened about people giving their lives to full-time vocational ministry. Now, full-time vocational ministry is not the only way to serve. A church is made up largely of people who are not full-time vocationally ministering. But I want to share with you something from Bruce McAllister, one of our missionaries through GFA. Here's what he says. Their ministry has, by application, uh, the task of trying to help pastors find churches and churches find pastors. Okay? So he says, we are assisting 67 churches, and this is just through this one ministry, okay? We're assisting 67 churches and 43 candidates currently. So they're trying to help that many, so that's over 100. 50 of the 67, listen to this, 50 of the 67 churches are looking for a pastor. Did you hear that? 50 of the 67 churches, and this is just one ministry, 50 of the 67 
are looking for a pastor. We have only about half the pastoral even candidates that they need. So you understand what that means? So they have about half that are even qualified to go candidate for or candidate for these churches. Here's what they end, here's what Brother McAllister ends with in his letter. He says, or at least in this paragraph, he says, please send more qualified, like-minded candidates our way. So here's my big rabbit trail <laughs> for us as a church. Uh, I took time to say this in our Sunday school class, but I want to say it here. So in this room and in this body, there are people that God might use in full-time ministry. And I want to underscore that it's something that we should be emphasizing. Here's, here's what I want to tell you, is that if you surrender to full-time ministry, that really can take you anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. And did you know that God is going to take care of you if you surrender Him, surrender to him no matter where you go? Did you know that? So in other words, there are people here looking for a career. I want to encourage you that you could give your life to full-time ministry and God will take care of you. You will make a living. You will live in whatever fashion God has for you, but he will take care of you. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Especially for our young people, I want you to know that God can use you and God can use you all over the world. Here's, here's something that is a dilemma for our day. In history, I don't, I don't know if there was ever a recognizable shift, but many times in history, there have been churches in the last, say, 50, 60 years that have looked to religious organizations for pastors. And religious organizations do train people for ministry, whether it's missionaries, man, man and woman, wherever it is, they train them. But do you recognize that those people that are going to those places come from churches? And so here's the point. These places, like Brother McAllister's, are looking for churches to send servants their way so they can connect the dots of a church that needs a pastor or a missionary that needs to go to a field. And what you're finding is that there is a dearth of servants that are willing to go. And I don't know what the hangup is. I don't know if it's fear. Do you realize, I said this to my Sunday school class. Um, we are in the flyover west. You pretty much only come here for two reasons. On purpose, because you're coming from the east, or you're escaping the west. <laughs> the coastal west. That's pretty much what lands people in Idaho. There are a lot of people that don't want to come here, especially from the east, because it is so far from their families. But I want to tell you something. And I, I, I'm glad you love your family. That's great. But I can also tell you, you can live a hollow life simply because you are around your family. If you are not surrendered to doing what God wants you to do. Maybe God will have you serve where your family is. I don't know. But I'm going to transition this aspect now for we preach the gospel, where we preach, 
We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, this aspect of giving the gospel or preparing those that labor. I'm really hopeful that from this body, full-time servants will rise. That from this congregation, servants will be sent. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody can go. You need to be here too and serve here too, and we need to have a body that serves here. But we do need to be praying that God will send forth laborers into the harvest, amen? And I'm arguing the fact that there's room for full-time service. I'm telling you that every last, every last one of our young people in our children's ministry, if every one of them gave themselves to full-time ministry, there would still be more needs to be filled, more, more servants needed. It's for this purpose that we have an internship program. Our internship program, and by the way, I'm just giving you an application here. Our internship program isn't that we're trying to find an intern to come help here because we need help. Now, don't get me wrong, when an intern comes, we are blessed by their service. But we have a very serving body. You have a very good team together as a body. But we don't look for an intern because we're simply looking for help. We have an internship program because we want to be investing in the servants that are being raised up to go into ministry. We don't want to be standing outside of a statement like this, 50 of the 67 churches are looking for a pastor. Look at that statement and simply step back of that and wag our heads at the need. Look at what a shame nobody's going. Instead, we want to be engaged in what we can do to prepare laborers to go. And maybe that's going to be coming from our body. Maybe other people will come to be trained here like Brandon Teske, like John Schaff, and they'll come and be trained here. And maybe God will use them here. Maybe God will use them in the West. Or maybe God will take them to Papua New Guinea or take them to Ghana, West Africa, or take them to anywhere in the world. But we get an opportunity to invest in the, those laborers. Why? Why? The most powerful and most important message on the planet is that there is a savior who's come to the world to save all who will come to him. That is the most important message on the planet. So we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We'll deal with verse six next week, but it says this, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the, God, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as an introduction to that verse next week, this place is only as good as it represents Jesus Christ. I like our building. For those that are new to this ministry, this building is about five years old for us. We're kind of settled into our building and enjoying our building. But I tell you what, there are churches all over the United States that have had buildings like this and nicer than this, and God has shut them down. And we have a lot of ministries that we do. We have a lot of work to do. But it isn't about being busy. We are not doing a vacation Bible school because, hey, we need to do a vacation Bible school. 
We're doing a vacation Bible school so that we as a body can serve together to shine as a light into this world. We have other ministries in this church as well, and I won't name them all, but the point of them is they need to be being, they need to be the light in this world of darkness, pointing people to the Savior. Now, I'm not minimizing your jobs or what, and how God provides you for you through your labor and the work that you have, but I do want to drive us to a focus that gives us why we're, we are even here. God did not save you simply so that you could have a job. Can we agree? Thank God for your job. Praise the Lord for your job. But you, where you sit, you leave this place as a candle lit for Jesus. And you are going more and more in, in very real relevance to a world that is dark and needs to know Jesus. You have people that you're gonna to touch in your life that I may never know, that Pastor Phil may never know, that your deacons may never know. You may be the only one that is the light in their life to show them Christ. Now, thank God that we get to shine in this place today. My hope is as a church that we'll be very focused about what we have in front of us and surrendered and servant-hearted and for the glory of God's sake, that he would use each of us to preach that gospel. Amen?